You're listening to highlights from One Planet Podcast's interview with Kathleen Rogers, president of EarthDay.org. When I got there 18 years ago, I changed the mission of the organization. And I think this is really important because the environmental movement was largely old and white in the United States. But when I was dealing with people around the world, it was certainly not that at all. And so I, I changed the mission of the organization with the agreement of the board of directors to diversifying the environmental movement worldwide. And so a very heavy focus of Earth Day is on bringing diversity to the movement and emanating from that is a desire to focus on low-income communities and environmental justice. So those are the issues. And we've been in it a lot longer than most people have. We were the first organization to focus on diversity as a goal or objective. And it's allowed us to grow the movement exponentially. And so you're seeing organizations after Earth Day each year popping up, needing nurturing and care and capacity building, but really springing up out of those first baby steps when they come into the movement through Earth Day. Just tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, I mean, my road to this position was quite winding. Let's put it that way. I've lived in Europe and I've studied there. I've lived in Africa. I've lived in other communities around the world, doing a whole bunch of different things. I think I was always interested in what I'll call sort of justice and just generally feeling like probably you do and many other people that are listening to this podcast is if we all have little super people capes on our back, where our general way of looking at the world is we have to step in and help people. So I've worked for a variety of institutions before I went off to law school And in fact, I even owned a bakery for a short period of time and learned how to bake. So unfortunately, I can only bake for like 3,000 people because that was about the size of my town. But I've done a lot of different things. And I even tried out for the U.S. Luge team in uh, Lake Placid, New York, and thankfully didn't make it or I wouldn't be on the phone today because I was really terrible at it. But once I got to law school and left law school, I did a clerkship for a federal judge in D.C. and the D.C. Circuit, D.C. District Courts. And it was through that experience that I decided that I wanted to work in environmental law. So I first went to a law firm. Climate education, climate literacy, environmental education, they really have never been front and center of the education business. And even though the first major law that Richard Nixon, who was president at the time of the first Earth Day, signed was the National Environmental Education Act, Our study of the U.S. and other countries kind of demonstrate that environmental education is an add-on, climate literacy is an add-on. And so we began a campaign, gosh, it's been many decades, even way before I came, to change that. And for the most part, until recently, that concern our lobbying, whether it was in the United States or around the world, has kind of fallen on deaf ears. And so you have pretty inadequate environment and climate literacy objectives and criteria that schools use. And not a single country in the world makes probably one of the most important skills you'll ever have, which is understanding the planet, a requirement to get out of high school. And so our campaign is focused on two levels. At the global level, we're focused on asking all the countries that are signatories to the climate agreement to agree to assessed compulsory environment and climate literacy education, as well as civic skill building. So going back to what I was saying before, how do you engage communities? Well, 
my kids are just not studying civics. They're just not being taught of the difference between governments. How do you request information? Nobody graduates from our high schools in the U.S. or any other high schools around the world having those skills. And so we've combined climate literacy, our climate literacy objectives, which is to be assessed in order to get out of high school, along with civic skill training, because we believe that's the magic combination to build a broader, more diverse, more active, more successful environmental movement. Not just in the science department, but we want climate education taught the same way technology is taught, which means starting in kindergarten, whether you're learning to read or taking art or science or history, whatever you're doing, math, you're constantly integrating themes, words, concepts into education. So it's teachers call, I'm not a teacher, but they call it crosswalking, which means they integrate it across all subjects. So if you're taking a math class, it'll talk about multiplication in terms of pounds of CO2. And by teaching them those terms and integrating this across all subjects, you begin to have super educated kids on the issue, just like they do with science and technology. That's how they teach it. So we're doing the same thing. And we're hoping to have an agreement by all the parties coming out of this next meeting in Glasgow in late November next year, or certainly by the next one. It's a difficult road to hoe, so to speak, because it is one area that is not considered as important as, say, fossil fuel reduction. But we honestly believe in our core, it's been 51 years since Earth Day. We've had multiple generations graduating from high school around the world without this requirement. And if anybody wonders why our movement isn't bigger or stronger or more powerful, it's because we don't teach it. We don't teach it anywhere. And we also don't teach kids how to be entrepreneurs around the environment. So if you look back at the Industrial Revolution, the country was crazy in the late 1800s and early 1900s, teaching science and math. And millions of dollars were going into states to teach kids how to create things out of their garages. So you have some of the major inventions, well, most of them actually, coming out of the Industrial Revolution, which were done by people in their homes. There weren't big labs. And you see that in the tech world now. Those Silicon Valley billionaires, a lot of them started in their houses or literally their garages or working with friends. And it's kind of a legend. And the same thing's going to happen with the Green Revolution. But one thing's for sure, and this is also central to the mission of Earth Day, is unlike the tech movement, which is owned by what, six companies? We know that the Green Revolution can be owned by everybody. We're living in one of those decades right now where we can't really see all the things that are changing. But the most important thing is that you have everybody working in concert. So you have governments that are sending the right signals. You have people that are forcing the governments to send the right signals. And you have companies that either read the handwriting on the wall because they see down the road, they might go out of business. All of those things combined have to operate in a way that begins to snowball the effect of moving to a green economy. It's going to happen because we're going to run out of fossil fuels or people won't be able to take it anymore. And it's so inefficient. It's so dirty. It kills so many people and pollutes so many communities and poisons our children, our babies. It's just horrific. But we don't see it right now the same way somebody 10 years looking back will see it. And I and you, just you look young, but 
looking back on your life, I'm sure you've seen so much happen in the last 10 years. So we're living extraordinary progress right now. We don't see it. Now, can you have setbacks? Yes. Four years of a president who not only didn't want to protect the planet, but also actively worked to trash it. Yes, it's a setback. It sent the wrong signals everywhere. You should look at the Paris Agreement. Each year or at a certain point, all the countries are supposed to improve their commitments. In other words, raise their commitments for reducing fossil fuels. This was the year to do it. Nobody did it. Part of it was COVID. Part of it was not seeing the right signals from the major countries. And so we did suffer both nationally and globally from four years of worse than inaction. Trust me, half the laws that I worked on as a lawyer, from wildlife species to toxics, this mad rush to not just roll it back a little, but destroy it. And in some cases, they did destroy it. And you have to start over. In other cases, you can fix it. But it's a lot of work for a lot of people to do it. And my job right now and Earth Day's job is to make sure that populations around the world are also sending the right signals to the governments to give them the backup. And I guess I look at it as intestinal fortitude, the guts to step ahead. I was there during the Great Migration, and I've never seen anything like it in my life. You, if you haven't seen it, it's almost hard to imagine. But the tragedy is, as I've gone back since then, that was a long time ago, and I was back recently and went out there, and I was out during migration, and they have built it up. I don't blame them, but it was extraordinary. It was like a trickle of animals, and compared to what I saw 30 years before. I was shocked. But interestingly, I was talking to a woman from Kenya who also lived out there and now I think lives in DC. And she said something to me that I thought was particularly moving and I've not quite gotten over it. She said, compared to what I'd seen, it was nothing. Compared to what she'd seen, it was truly massive. So she was I don't know how old, but she'd grown up in Kenya's in, in the 20s and 30s and 40s, right? So she was old. And she said, what I experienced was one-tenth of what she experienced. And we had this conversation largely driven by her amazing philosophy and perspective is that none of us understand what the generation before us saw. And therefore, when I see tens of thousands of birds going overhead, migrating south. I go to the shore a lot to Cape May Point and areas there in New Jersey where they have massive bird migration. And I've been going there since I was a kid. And what I see now, children are stunned by how many birds there are. And I look at it and say, where are all the birds? And then the people who are older than I am look at it and say, this is a disaster. Because while I'm still seeing birds, I can only reflect on what I saw when I was a kid and people who are older than I am are reflecting on what they saw as kids. And it's hard to convey that information. It is hard when you see kids going, oh, you know, flipping out all the shorebirds or massive numbers are flying south or north, depending on the time of year. It's so impressive, but it's nothing compared to what I saw and is double nothing compared to what my friend saw. We hope you've enjoyed this program. 
If you would like to get involved in One Planet podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.